0: Hello and welcome to the Deep Overstock Fiction Podcast. This is a special series of episodes where we are looking at Coleman Stevenson's work. We published her book, Light Sleeper, and this is the anniversary of that publication. In this series of episodes, we will talk about individual poems and the relationship between the poems in this book. Today I have with me Jihei and Sarah. The poems we're looking at are going to be Year of Dead Dogs, Nothing at All, or everything at once, and in the world of sea monkeys, each undulation makes a wave. Jihei and Sarah, thank you very much for coming on today.
1: Pleasure to be here. Thanks.
0: Jihei, what's your impression of Coleman's work, and what do you like about Coleman's writing?
1: I've been a fan, I think, for a while now, and having the chance to work with you Overstock kind of means getting, you know, a closer look at a poet I like, I One of the things that I enjoy, I think, the most about Coleman's work is that there's a lot of sensitivity in the descriptions and like the images that are portrayed and shared with the reader. And I've always found that pure, concentrated ability of poetry to really illuminate the little thing, to really shine, I think, especially in in, in this particular collection.
0: Sarah, you mentioned when we talked earlier, too, about little things and details. But in yeah. general, what do you like about Coleman's work?
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, especially in one of them that we're at today in a world of sea monkeys. every What is it? Every undulation is a wave. Makes
0: a wave, yeah.
2: Makes a wave. Yeah, that, that's something that I'm passionate about. It's kind of a weird hobby, but I love to go on walks or go hiking and then take like macro photographs. Wildflowers or little bugs or just textures of like mushrooms or like a solid log. I love giving attention to those little things. Sometimes when you read reviews of hiking trails, they'll be negative and let's say, there are no views at all. And I'm here looking down at the ground, looking at all the little things on the ground and thinking like, wow, that's so beautiful here. So I really appreciate that aspect of her work.
0: Yeah, she she begins that way in that in that poem in the world of sea monkeys each undulation makes a wave it says do not peek at caterpillars returned in pupae to primordial ooze and then lots of little details that the fine textures of different things. Jihei, what did the uh, what do the little details mean to you as far as crafting a poem? I know you're interested in form, you're interested in the details. What do you like about what Coleman does?
1: This is I think something that every single poem here especially the three that we're discussing today. I don't know how else to put it. I'm I'm sorry. I don't think I'll put it kindly. It's, um, they're not precious about the little thing. <laughs> sometimes I, I do like whimsy for whimsy's sake, but sometimes a detail or two or 10 thrown in without any overarching vision or real heart to it, I think ends up being just purely decorative a little too much ornaments, at least to my taste. And, you know, maybe if it's like 50, okay, it's just camp, it's kitsch. That is a statement and it's on its own. But I think that's what I like about the little details too. The things that you choose to keep and present, right? Because it's such a a dry, boiled down form of description sometimes. It's, um. I think it's always hard to, <laughs> every poet I've ever met, we we all kind of, I think have difficulty reaching a word maximum. It's it's more of a word minimum for us, really. (laughs) And so the little details that are you know wrung out of everyday observations—they're not cute. They're not terribly you know. They don't necessarily endear themselves to you, and they don't package themselves as such. And that's what I like about it. You know, they they are kind of grotesque sometimes, especially in the more taxidermy. Themes, Mm -hmm. elements where you can't help but be, you know, fairly macabre and grotesque. But yeah, that's what I like. I think that it's a fine balance. But Coleman walks it well.
2: Yeah, when you said about the poet trying to write a maximum, that rings so true. When you know, when I was in university in my poetry courses, I always tried to figure out, like, am I? It's almost opposite of what you said. Am I using too many words? like how can I use the fewest words possible to convey what I want to convey and I, I really I don't like poems that are super wordy and I do like how crisp and like light they are and how they make use of the space around the word as you know and as well with the form it's very playful with the form in a lot of poems it's more of an impression that you get, I think, overall. Some images and impressions of what she's trying to convey, rather than, like, she's not telling you what what to see or what to think. And that's what I like. She's giving you just kind of these impressions, these images, this kind of sense.
0: That um, makes me think of what Jihei was saying about what you decide to keep and what you're actually trying to express and communicate to the reader. Jihei was saying, if you just pile on little images just to be cute or to make a collection that looks impressive or looks like like something. These poems are not trying to do that. They're actually trying to express something and the details are necessary. So it is an impression that's trying to communicate itself. I want to think more about that, talk more about that in a moment, but let's listen to the three poems and then we can continue our conversation a little more in depth about these individual poems. So now here is A Year of Dead Dogs.
3: Year of Dead Dogs What did you do those days when the bridge lay open to the other side? Did you follow that big, glassy crow perched on the meter of a vacant parking space? Did you listen to the man whispering behind the mop-head hydrangeas that drank up aluminum from acidic soil under your bedroom window? There are shadows on the lawn But this is not your house. The windows are too large. No steps lead up to your front door. In the world of things not what they seem, your secret vision skips a beat. The crow in the road was not a guide. It was a scavenger. The sprung goldfish on the sidewalk was the wind under a fallen red leaf when you were buoyant without a care. Umbles punched neon holes in the air, but now that their blues been drained, take the dried hydrangeas to your father's house. Tell him you had a bad dream in which he looked too much like himself.
0: We're talking about impressions. We're talking about details that are necessary or details we want to keep. Why do you think this poem is actually trying to communicate something or what do you think it does?
1: Year of Dead Dogs is one of the poems, I think, that makes it the most clear, the relationship between the persona, the the narrative voice who is behind the poem, and the reader. There's a direct you right on the first line, so there's already a bit of a second party, right? Almost... Not quite a voyeur because they seem the you or I seem very uh, invested, right? Or were are party to the whispers and 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 the crows. We're you know we're accomplices, and I like that a lot. Sometimes I think, uh, especially with the deeper elements of grief and sadness. That are present in other poems that are so intensely personal and alienating, because obviously pain is pain, but I would never be able to specifically feel maybe the emotions that Coleman is describing without having been born again and living Coleman's life. <laughs> but year of dead dogs, I yeah, it's um it doesn't invite you in. It already assumes that you kind of having having been a child once, you may have experienced something like this before i like that a lot i really do because there are some things that are universal truths and the word play is also extremely fun i don't need the forms although i'm sure we'll get to that in a minute there's something pretty fun at least to me about like the softer sounds like sprung goldfish on the sidewalk right mm. so they're just clever little almost sing-song in a way very very charming and freaky because they're a dead dog.
2: Yeah, I, I love that line. The sprung goldfish on the sidewalk was the wind under a fallen red leaf. Like that. Like I've seen that before. And then like I can see it. It's so beautiful. It's so simple. but so beautiful. And talking about the you, it is relatable. Everything. There are so many images and scenes in these poems that I relate to very much through my childhood yeah I was wondering about that like who is the you is it me as a reader or do you think it's anyone as a reader in general or is it someone in particular that she's speaking to but I kind of like the idea that it is kind of me as as a reader that has had similar experiences in my childhood
1: yeah, I think um, second person. Is, I know I, maybe this is more true for prose. It's a very intimate perspective, right? And it's very hard to pull off. When I first read *Year of Dead Dogs*, I didn't know if the "you" was almost accusatory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe it's because I just read, "What did you do?" and I heard like, "Well, what did you what? do?"
0: <laughs> what have you done?
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you know that melancholic echo of when you were buoyant, right? Mm then it becomes, you know, more of an invitation to maybe walk together through this through through the past. And um it's interesting, Sarah, that you read it that way with the sprinkled fish on the sidewalk was the wind, because I, I did not read this poem that way. <laughs> oh really? Actually, I didn't take in the world of things not like I didn't take that line as um has like a gutter almost, you know, when printing when it's like a, a margin or a, a dividing line.
2: Yes. Yeah. And that's that's what I love about these poems that have this kind of divided form. You I'm not really sure how to read that. And you can almost read them any way. And I love that. But yeah, yeah, you're right. You you could read it straight across the line.
1: I think you can read it both ways. And it's beautiful both ways. It's interesting both ways. I think it's intentional because um, it's this entire section, the first part, the first third of this book is is about time, right? And um that's not only about time, but it's certainly a, a large theme in it. And, you know, it's it's it is a little stricular, a little mowing b s e, if you will, you know, there's no real entry point. There's no real exit point and. I do like that about it a lot. When I first got the the proof for this one, I think, um, yeah, I read it like every which way, to the point where the line in the world of things, not what they seem, it was almost like a, like a mantra, right, like a meditative mm-hmm. like phrase, because it just you just keep coming back to it. And it,
2: you're right, it is kind of sing songy, like there's that that kind of rhyme. It, in a world of things, not what they seem your secret vision skip the B like that e yeah. down at the end and like the rhythm to it yeah i like that it's like a mantra yeah and
1: that's yeah like the i i'm i'm very bad at the natural world i i don't really know critters or plants so i did have to to google what an umble was i'm sorry
0: i don't know yeah.
1: <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know what an umble is uh, you know, if uh, if you look it up, I can see why I think Coleman chose to represent this as like the the mirror half. Of what hydrangeas are? I know what hydrangeas are because they're my mother's favorite flower. And so I was like, oh, you know, like if you like fog up your vision, like squint a little and close the other eye, like yeah, it, it does kind of look like a hydrangea. Like, yeah, I can see it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is a poetry collection that should come with like visual aids. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, I did find myself looking up words, phrases as well as I was reading through these poems. And it it is it just adds to that visual element. I think I mentioned in our email there was one uh, I can't remember the name of it now. The one about the head of the head of was it the head of St. John or, or Penance? Uh, oh, yeah. That's it. Yeah, when I was reading Penance, the poem Penance, I looked up the art that was quoted or yeah I guess quoted at the beginning of the poem or referenced at the beginning the visual line in the painting mim- like are mimicked in the lines of the poem and the way that the poem is formed down the page and so I think yeah googling these references do add a lot to your experience of reading the poem
0: Let's do, I want to do penance in another episode. We can, I want to look at a few of them where she kind of dances quite a bit on the page. We have these, a couple poems where we have divided where half the poem is on the left side of the page or left page, half is on the right side, and you can choose where to go. There's some that dance across the page too, and maybe we can look at those. We are going to pause here and continue this conversation in the next episode as we listen to and discuss In the World of Sea Monkeys, Each Undulation Makes a Wave, from Coleman Stevenson's Light Sleeper. You've been listening to the Deep Overstock Fiction Podcast. You can join us as we read by buying a copy of Light Sleeper on deepoverstock.com shop. Use the code light sleeper at checkout. That's light sleeper, one word, no space. Thank you for listening and see you next time.